0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty, thanks
1: for joining us. Today in the show we're going to talk a little about understanding micronutrients. So if you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd love to visit with you. If you want to call in, our phone lines will be open throughout the show today. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD, that's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, so this micronutrient thing is really, really important. And it's very common when you hear the word micro that, oh, it's not very important. It's micro. There are micronutrients. No big deal. That is not true. The reason why they're called micro is you don't need many of them. Actually, I'm going to go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App and pull this up real quick. So if... I look at corn, so I'm just punching in corn here. Let's say I had 250 bushel corn. Here in total is what you need. Copper, 0.18 pounds. <laughs> That's not much. Now, why don't you to think about that for just a second? Because very often as farmers, we just start doing what we do and we don't give it a whole lot of thought when we start talking about, oh yeah, a few pounds per acre or whatever. But this is 0.18 pounds Across a whole acre. that An acre is 43,560 square feet. And I can't even do the math on that, how little that would be, about 0.0001 uh, pounds on a per square foot basis. So you see what I mean. The quantity is really, really small. But anyway, manganese, 2.06 pounds, zinc, 0.65 pounds, boron, 0.66 pounds, and iron, 1 pound. That's it. So if I add all those up, let's see what do I have there, 3, 4, uh, 4.5 pounds roughly, that's it, of micronutrients to raise 250 bushel corn. On the other hand, if I take a look at potassium, that's the number one need for a corn plant. It takes 338 pounds of K2O potassium per acre for 250 bushel corn. (laughs) So when it's almost 100 times as much just with potassium alone, then you can see why it's easy to focus really hard on the primary nutrients, N, P, and K, as opposed to the micronutrients. So I get it that you're not probably putting a lot of emphasis on it. And I will stress, too, N, P, and K are unbelievably important, and you want to get those things fixed. The vast majority of soil tests Darren and I take a look at, the K levels aren't fixed, and you got to get that done first, okay? So I'm going to put more priority on that than I am on the micronutrients. But nevertheless, we also get a lot of emails and calls, and we talk to farmers all the time that say, hey, I'm now... I've got my, my soil built up well on P and K. I'm doing good on calcium and magnesium. Obviously, sulfur and, and nitrogen, since they're leachable, or at least fairly leachable, you've got to address those every single year. But if you've got the phosphorus, the potassium, the magnesium, and the calcium built up in your soil, you know what? It's really now time to focus on these micronutrients because it does not take much. You don't have to spend many dollars to get your micronutrients right. And then the next thing is, it's not just a focus on, well, I got to have X number of pounds out here on micronutrients. You have to look at the relationship, especially between phosphorus and some of these micros. And this is one of the things that really stood out for us on our farm. So I'll just take you back here before I go into this. There are a lot of people that you're going to listen to and talk to that are going to tell you how great they are and all these things they've done right and how you just have to follow this plan and it's going to be amazing and okay, what we prefer to talk about, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say we don't talk about success things, but we want to tell you about the failures and where things have gone wrong and how we've learned from that and figured out, okay, let's not do that again because that cost us a bunch of money. And hopefully we can save you from wasting thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in income or expense. So anyway, here's our, here was our mistake. And and, and I'm not going to throw Darren under the bus at all, because usually it's my mistake, because I'm gung-ho on stuff, and I want fixes, and I want them now. And I don't care what it costs in some cases in the short term, because what I do care about is long-term profitability. So anyway, we had worked real hard on phosphorus and potassium for a while, and then it got to the point where we're doing these soil tests, and we just weren't getting where we wanted to go in with just adding some micronutrients with the planter. Now, I'm not saying don't add micronutrients with the planter. We still like that. That's a great way to get micros into the plant early. But what we had issue with is as those plants were growing, well, now we kind of ran out. And we also found that um, it's pretty inexpensive, like zinc sulfate or even boron dry, to just raise our soil test levels. And Again, I'm not saying we're cutting back that much on what we're doing with the planter, but we were able to basically fix the soil. We're also talking to some people that are like, okay, and like Neil Kinsey is a great example. All right, you get your micronutrients right, and you're going to have, or and you should have, better overall soil life. And, I mean, things are just going to be better overall in your soil for the microbes, and you want healthy soil. And, you know, and all the theory and all that stuff is fantastic, and I love it, and it's great. But anyway, here is my mistake. We had our phosphorus levels pretty good, and so we were kind of going through our our soil tests, and it's like, oh, okay, we really have to address this micronutrient thing. And so not only did we address the micronutrient thing and say, look, we're fixing them, and we're fixing all of them, and this is done, But, but a couple of things. One, we got a little carried away in what we put out. Two, we had some equipment issues with our fertilizer spreader because with our old, fer- old fertilizer spreader, it, it wasn't the best at getting the rates really low. Because in some cases, we have we couldn't put on very many pounds. Well, the fertilizer spreader wasn't perfect. And so the problem was we got too much zinc on was the first one where we noticed this. And anyway, one year we go, okay, we need more zinc. And then the next year we come out and it's like, whoa, our zinc levels are high. But the problem then was it was our phosphorus to zinc ratio. And you could see when we started charting out, all right, where are our yields coming from? It's where we had that phosphorus to zinc ratio, right? Somewhere around the 8 to 1, 10 to 1 kind of range. Now it varies depending on the phosphorus test you're pulling. What I'm saying here is don't just look at individual micronutrients by themselves. Look at their ratios. Phosphorus to zinc is an important ratio. Phosphorus to copper is an important ratio, and we can talk about that a little bit more throughout the day too. So again, we're talking micronutrients today here
0: on Ag PhD Radio. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Go
2: long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Winter is here, and it's the perfect time to improve your farm by attending Ag PhD's Winter Workshops and Clinics. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about micronutrients and understanding what they're doing in the soil and in the plant. And we're taking your calls and questions as well at eight four four forty four Ag PhD. We've got Molly Alexander with us right now with AgriLiquid. Molly, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Alright, so when we think about micronutrients, I know farmers are really looking at N, P, and K prices right now, and, and they're high. I, I know it. They're high going into next year, but, but micronutrients are still really important. we got to save some room in the budget for them. What are some of the micros that you see in your part of the country down in Georgia and in the crops that farmers are growing there that are really important?
3: So in the south, southeast, uh, we have a lot of loose soils, and so we have some problems with leachability. So, um, So our biggest issue probably is sourcing boron and then some manganese and some zinc. And then iron's a little bit of a factor in there. But I would say our biggest factor that we miss in this area that is highly necessary would be the boron.
0: You know, when you look at boron and, and the leachability of it is one of the things that's, uh, that's a little bit concerning. So h- how do you deal with that in crops? Are you putting it on multiple times during the season? Or are you saving it for a certain time foliar? I, I would assume it might vary during, by, crop by crop.
3: It does, but uh, my mentality is I like to spoon feed a micronutrient um, because you do find micronutrients in the organic matter, And you don't really know how much is gonna be taken up throughout the growing season until you get some tissues. And so I like to pull tissues and go by that. But my favorite way is to spoon feed it throughout the crop in different growing stages that are uh, kind of the key points there. So I prefer boron, truthfully, in a foliar feed. You could put some out early, maybe in the row to get a little bit of a jump and some structural stability, but my preference is to spoon feed some at a time throughout the growing season. That way it's available when the plant needs it and we have it right there at that point that it can take it up.
0: I know you're talking about leachability and and as as you termed it, loose soils in the southeastern part of the United States, but you also mentioned manganese and you mentioned zinc and they don't move quite as much in the soil as what boron does. Is there a placement that you like with those nutrients? Is it something you want to see down in the soil a few inches or are they also more towards the foliar end in many of the programs?
3: So truthfully with zinc, it is it is pretty widely deficient across the united states in the southeast we do deal with that some and we have phs across all different ranges and a higher ph is where you get more deficient zinc and that will affect any of your phosphates same thing with magazine or manganese if you have a good availability of manganese then that'll increase your availability of phosphorus and calcium as well so i do like both of those nutrients early in the soil Um, But I do like to spoon feed pieces of them later on at reproductive stages because they kind of kick off those enzyme processes and are a key player in the photosynthesis. And those are two stages that we really need to kind of drive that yield and get us to our end goal. So early on, but then slightly slightly later in the season as a foliar, maybe not in as many amounts.
0: One comment we got a lot of this past season where it was hot and dry growers said, Man, where I had my micronutrients in there, the crop seemed to hang in much better and have better stress tolerance. Is that something you've noticed in the southeast?
3: Yes. So this year was a strange year for us. We had a high, high abundance of rain. And the problem with all that rain on top of any irrigation that we had, like we go back to the leachability of these, these nutrients, uh, especially the boron when, by the time we saw the deficiencies, um, once you see them visual, you're kind of behind the game. I like to be more proactive than reactive, but you can't really tell what you need unless you pull constant tissues and kind of see that visible result. Um, In the southeast, we did see quite a bit of boron that needed to be added, and we were able to fix that with a foliar application. Zinc, we didn't have too many issues with. Uh, Manganese, we did have to come in on a lot of cotton and several of the peanuts that were struggling with the overabundance of water. um, We did have to supplement with that. But I cannot truthfully say we had much of a drought in the southeast this year.
0: <laughs> well, it wasn't your turn this time, but who knows? That, that can happen any time. Hey, last question for you, Molly. We, we have so many concerns about supply issues and what's happening in the supply chain. What are you seeing in terms of micronutrients and, and even the NPNK in your part of the country?
3: So it's, it's a high, high topic of conversation as it is across the United States. We have our big players like our NP and, K, and there's so many people that are got most of their focus on that. But we do have to remember when it comes to micronutrients, even though they're trace in small amounts, they do really affect the availability of those bigger players. So if you're going to have to spend that bigger amount of money to get that MPNK, I would suggest to everyone, please pay attention to your micros because that's going to help get the most efficacy out of how much MPNK you can afford. So if you have to cut corners in a few places, I would not suggest cutting out your micros completely. There is a time and a place for them, and it'll definitely help in the long run, get those bigger players that everyone's worried about into the soil, make them available and get them utilized and get that crop off and
0: running great advice there we're talking with molly alexander with Agro liquid molly thanks so much for being on the show really appreciate it
3: yes sir thank you for having me Yep. Yeah.
0: uh got uh, our friend caleb who farms down in georgia all right caleb what'd you think of that molly molly kind of knows your stuff on those micros how, how does that play out with your peanuts and other crops you're growing
4: Hey, Darren. I appreciate being able to follow someone with a similar accent as mine. Micronutrients are a big deal for us, and I guess a lot of the ones that she mentioned are also ones that we focus on. Cause like, as was mentioned with boron, our CCs are between 1 and 5 in our soul, so we simply can't hold our boron. Our lab even says that we have 0.1 part per million because that's as low as their analysis goes, and I think they don't want to make us feel very bad. (laughs) So we have started applying boron on every single trip across our field because once that boron is utilized by the plant, it can't be reused. So in our vegetative stages, our boron increases our nitrogen efficiency because it tells the nitrogen how to act. And it also helps us get calcium into our legume crops like peanuts, which is a big deal for us. And then in our reproductive stages, it also helps the fruit fill out. So in corn, we'll see things like less tip back in our ears. And in peanuts, we'll see less pops or basically shells with nothing inside. And then in our cotton, we'll see more fruit retention. And all those really translate into higher yields.
0: You mentioned something there that I think is really key. That the boron is really one of those building block nutrients that stays where it's put in the plant. So if you've fed boron for a couple of leaf stages and now you get a couple new leaves on there, well, they're probably short in boron. So you may need to apply a little bit more in a situation like this where your soil just physically can't hold the boron. So that that's a good tip, Caleb. And I think for a lot of growers, they don't they may not realize that that they need to keep feeding that crop in in those layers. Better, lower organic matter soils.
4: Yep. And then another one that we're uh, starting to focus a little more on, I'm going to be doing a little more work on it next year, is silica. Because in our sandy soil, we have a lot of silica, but it's not in the plant available form. And silica, what it does for us, it thickens the cell walls of the root and solar tissue. And that's a big deal in peanuts. Because if you think about a peanut, it's formed on a special stem that comes off of a branch and goes into the ground, well, if those pegs aren't strong enough, they may break off during harvest and we lose that peanut. So we're working on some foliar products that contain silica so that we can strengthen those stems that hold the peanuts on and ultimately increase our yields in peanuts as well. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I like that, Caleb. You, can't, you came to the table with something new that we weren't even talking about yet. Just Not just uh, thinking about the boron, manganese, zinc, iron, copper, the the normal culprits here when we talk about micros, but but there are other micros out there too, like molybdenum and, and silica and others that, that are really starting to get some more play in agriculture. So if you're just saying, boy, I don't know anything about those, do a little bit of reading. I'm, I'm sure Caleb's been reading up on it too. Uh, Caleb, so great to hear from you. Really glad you had uh, had a pretty decent year overall and, uh, and look forward to talking to you again
4: hey thanks for the call appreciate yeah. it We're
0: talking about micronutrients and understanding how important they are in your crops and trying to figure out which ones you actually need and, and can financially benefit from on your farm we'll talk more about the micros we'll also take your calls and questions at 844 44 AG PhD
5: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
2: Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs
0: ands or butts at enlist.com enlist.com what can you do to build a better wheat crop i'm darren hefty on tuesday january 11th we're holding a free ag phd wheat agronomy workshop at the morton center on our farm near baltic south dakota we'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in depth on topics such as crop protection programs seed treatment options fertility requirements and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products, There is a lot of great information here and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
3: Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5 EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection can help. Tough 5 EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5 EC to your post emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 EC or visit belchumusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
2: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter because now, you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about micronutrients, very, very important nutrients that we need in small quantities for our crops, for our bodies, for our livestock. Very important all the way around. We've got our friend Eric Mayers up in North Dakota. He's a crop consultant and farmer up there. Uh, on with us right now to talk micronutrients. Eric, how are you doing?
6: I'm doing good. How about you, Darren?
0: You know, we're having a good day here. We're talking about micros, and we've been discussing a lot about boron so far. What what micros do farmers in southern North Dakota struggle with? Is it zinc up there that guys are focused a lot on or something else?
6: Um, I guess the last couple of years I've been doing a lot more tissue tests, and the three main ones that I notice are boron, like you mentioned, um, copper, and also, um, yes, yeah, some zinc, but also the other one is manganese, or not manganese, but uh, um, sulfur, which is a macro, I guess. But I just I am noticing that one more and more every year, too.
0: Yeah, the, the sulfur one, you're right about that. I mean, it's a secondary nutrient, not necessarily our topic of today, but we can we can sure talk about that too because I think there there are a lot of farmers that think, well, if I put sulfur on in my corn rotation, I'll be good. But boy, that corn's pulling a lot of that sulfur in and some could leach away. We really need it with each of the crops that are putting it in. So in the crop rotations that growers in your area are are using, are they putting sulfur on every time, the guys that are really paying attention to this, or, or what are you noticing?
6: Every year, whether it's a couple hundred pounds of AMS in front of soybeans, or a uh, phosphorus source with sulfur in it for corn, um, I'm putting some in a two by two with a 28% on corn. So yeah, I'm I'm using it every year in both crops and also wheat when we when we put wheat in. Um, so yeah, it's becoming more of an every year thing.
0: How about the copper? Now you mentioned copper and we haven't really gotten into that one yet today, but boy, that is, that is certainly important. And it's one that we don't use a huge amount. So if, if we make a decent size application, we could be good for a long time. I know we did that on, on most of our acres, put a bunch of copper on. What are you seeing on the tests? And, and you mentioned tissue testing. Are there certain levels that you're looking for or or what are they showing you?
6: Um, I notice it more on the lighter soil. We have an irrigator. I notice it on that. So I've been adding more in the 2x2 up front with the 28 and boron and sulfur. Um, Not so much on the heavier soils, but that is one where you can get a pretty good response foliarly, but I still have been putting more on up front. It seemed like I would start noticing it in July on on the tissue test that I do every seven to 10 days. Okay. And so I, I wanted to put some, you know, a few inches away, but it wasn't something I needed right away, it seemed like. So um, it seems like it's getting better. Uh, first year I went a pine, and then now, I, now I added a cork on the fields I noticed, you know, where it showed up more.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the tests that we see that come in here and people say, what should we do on our tests, may not even have copper on there. So if you're not measuring it, you certainly aren't going to be managing that one. And and you mentioned the lighter ground versus the heavy ground. I think that's interesting, too, that that some soils will, will have a little different makeup to begin with or, or possibly be able to hold on to nutrients a little better. Is it an organic matter thing? Is it just the, the base clay material? Do you have any idea about that?
6: um i just know I, t- I don't know it's been a common saying. whether i guess i first noticed it in wheat um a copper deficiency on some lighter soils and then it just seems to follow that um sure not necessarily it might it might not always be low on your soil test but as we hone in and you know start soil testing more in in uh, zones and actually and grids you're starting to pinpoint it more and then you know only having to add it where you need where where you need to, um, it just seems like yes, yeah, lower organic matter and uh, the, the higher C or the lower CECs.
0: Is that the same thing with boron? Then are you seeing boron short everywhere, or or is it does it really stand out in those light soils?
6: Um, I guess I can't remember on that one. I I was going through it last winter on some stuff we grid sampled on one acre grids, and. I thought, you know, here's here's a pattern I'm starting to see, and then I would go to the next field and it wasn't it wasn't just the high pH areas. And then you go to the next one, and it it just seems like it's as we're pulling more bushels of corn off and beans the last fifteen years, um, I think we're just finally starting to you know, deplete these microbes that we that have always been in the soil at, you know, enough of a an amount to, to get us by.
0: Yeah, I, I love the focus on fertility. I know on our farm that's really helped us make better yields and more consistent yields. And one of the things that we get to that, uh, I, I know we have something short almost everywhere has been micronutrients. has been something we've been focused on. i we're talking with Eric up in North Dakota, who is also focusing on these micros. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing a little information and, and good luck to you here the rest of the fall.
6: You too. Thanks, Darren.
0: bet. Yeah. All right, Brian. Uh, another thing going on this fall is fertilizer application. Can we dive into the egg PhD mailbag quick? Janelle? Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa! We got to talk a little more about uh, micronutrients, do we not?
0: Well, you can. I, I was going to throw something else in here too, but that's fine. <laughs> Go ahead, and finish up. If you have well, some more comments.
1: Well, I have lots of comments, but I mean, I can, I can, I, I can limit this a little bit. Let so we have five primary micronutrients that we talk about all the time: copper, manganese, boron, zinc, and iron. With the boron, that's one that's gotten a lot of attention here in the last few years. A lot of people are talking about that, especially for corn, but it affects lots of crops. We've talked about it for years with alfalfa. Uh, to some degree, it's going to have impact on soybeans, wheat, really any crop. But the probably the biggest thing with boron that you have to understand is it is leachable. Now, it's not going to leach as fast as nitrate or even sulfate, but it is still leachable. So like with boron, you're going to need to be putting some on every year, it seems like. So I would just encourage you with boron, don't be forgetting about that one. And I'm not saying you need much. We talked about that earlier in the show, how little you need. But if you don't get some out there, it can be a problem. For example, one of the things we talk about in corn is if your corn ear doesn't fill out to the end. A lot of people are going to say, well... I just planted a little too thick. Now that could be, but what we commonly find is you don't have enough boron in the plant to fill that air out to the end. So make sure you have good levels of boron, not just in the soil, but in the plant. Like for us in heavy soils, I like putting our boron on the soil the fall before, and it works great. Now, for some people, they have really, really light soil and lots of rainfall, so they like doing boron, you know, maybe even every pass they make through the field at just really, really low levels. You got to have some boron. That's that's my whole point here. Manganese is the other one that I wanted to talk about before we wrap things up on our micronutrient discussion today. Because with manganese, we've had issues with the DTPA test in the past. So... I I would just say for years we've looked at this DTPA micronutrient test. But the problem is we're finding no correlation to yield with manganese levels with that DTPA test because it just flat out doesn't give us much information. The only thing that I can tell you that does correlate with our manganese levels is soil pH. So the lower the soil pH, the more manganese shows up in this DTPA test. So we've switched to a Malik 3 test because we feel like the manganese levels are actually representative. So we've had some fields where it's literally three parts per million manganese on a DTPA test, and then we find out, oh, it's 120 parts per million on a Malik-3 test. So I I just say, if you're getting a DTPA test done with manganese, we'd really encourage you, at least for the manganese, get a Malik-3 test done. It, it's very inexpensive, and then we feel like you know what's go- what's actually there in the soil, not just uh, some artificial number, what we believe is an artificial number, and we have not been able to correlate that at all to yield and what those those levels are, whereas with the Malik 3, we have. So I, that that's really my number one take home with manganese. The, the last thing I would say with manganese is you want to make sure your iron levels in the soil are always higher than your manganese levels. And again, with that DTPA, we didn't feel like we had a super accurate reading, whereas with the Malik-3, we feel much more confident in what the numbers actually mean. But make sure you have good levels of iron in the soil to the point where they are better than your manganese
0: levels. All right, we'll talk a little more about micronutrients and we'll dive into the Ag PhD mailbag right after this short break. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD.
2: Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com.
5: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burn-down failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, marestail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
2: Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber Clean. And what is Kyber Clean? Well, it's a little like. <laughs> Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com slash soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide slash soy. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity with fast payback. An expanded application window <sighs> makes life simple and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn, swift, simple, secure. VelTima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. VelTima fungicide is not registered in all states.
0: Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to AgPHD PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open at eight four four. 44 agphd. You can also email us radio at agphd.com, which is exactly what Ryan did. He said, Guys, I contracted some anhydrous ammonia and I'm trying to get it put on before I lose my contract price. We're a little bit wet <laughs> yep. here, though, and using a standard knife and covering disc toolbar uh, in a soil type that leans towards clay, I'm concerned about loss. Yep. Just wondering, is there a generally accepted percentage application loss potential when conditions are wet and sealing isn't ideal. It is a little or a lot of loss when the soil covering the knife is cloudy or in extreme cases, compacted areas where the slot just doesn't close. I figure the initial adhesion to the soil with it being wet is pretty good, but worry about leak off as time goes on. You know, I think about this, Brian, and when you, you, you uh, look at anhydrous which is water loving and you've got lots of moisture in the soil it sounds like that could be okay if you could get it on but the problem is a lot of times it clumps up and then you're dragging soil and now you've got this big wide trench that, that you can't really seal up very well so well, I don't think about it
1: clumping up as much as basically smearing sidewalls just like you might with a planter so that's probably my biggest concern. But yeah, whatever the case, however you lose it, you don't want to lose it because it's a lot of money. Nitrogen is very, very expensive. And so you got a couple of factors here. And it's very unusual just that whatever your contract price is, if let's say you get anhydrous again in the spring, or any other form of nitrogen, you might have to pay a lot more money. Now, we don't know what the spring price will be. It might be lower. We don't know. So it's all really a gamble, and that's, the, that, that, that's your risk there, is what do you do on price if you can't get this stuff applied? So my first thought is, hopefully things are going to dry out for you. So I'd look at the weather, and like for us, we got a couple of days here where we're getting a tiny little bit of rain. But next week looks great, and the temperatures actually look fine, especially for anhydrous application. We've had it before even in the middle of December where we get a week where we go, huh, this is strange, but you know what? We can put anhydrous on now, and it seals up just fine. The other thing I'm thinking about is, can I go a little deeper? So, in our soils, we we're we're still really dry down below. So, if I was to get, if I was to place my knife a little bit deeper, yes, I know it's a little more pulling through the field, a little harder, and all that. But if you could go a little deeper, maybe you'd be able to seal better there. You also have more distance uh, before you get to the surface of the soil. So, I mean, those are just some of my thoughts. I, there, there's no perfect answer here. I mean, that's the challenge with farming very often is we don't farm in this perfect environment. So you're just kind of gambling. And I don't know how it's going to pan out for you here, but those are some of the things that I would take a look at.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I got another one here. This is from Ben. And he said, I am uh, in the rolling hills of southern Iowa growing corn and soybeans. 2021 crops corn, best field went 130, and soybean averaged 49 bushels per acre. My soils need a lot of P&K to get them built back up. My question has to do with micros, though. Should I even look at micros when my P&K are low? I currently have my local co-op grid sample, but they're just doing basic soil samples, so I'm going to pull my own and do the complete tests and see what comes back.
1: Okay, so I, I, I'm i still going to at least look at micronutrients if I have something that appears to be way, way off. So let's say, for example, I am at 0.5 parts per million of, of zinc. And you just said, all right, I'm going to build my phosphorus up. Okay, Now, all of a sudden, if you build your phosphorus up and you haven't done anything at all to address the zinc, well, now you could still have some problems out there. So rather than spending $50 on phosphorus, maybe you want to spend $46 on phosphorus and $4 on zinc or something like that. So I'm probably still going to advise you to take a look at it. And very often we'll say, just like I did to begin the show, that, hey, potassium is a lot more important than some of these micronutrients. Well, that's true. You have to look at every nutrient being important to some degree and if I'm unbelievably lacking on the micro side that is going to impact my overall yield and so maybe you want to take just a few dollars out of that P&K program you're talking about and address some of the micros if they are also really really low
0: all right let's get back to the phone lines here got Brad with us right now down in the state of Iowa um, so having trouble getting that started, though, Brian. You want to click on that. Hey, Brad, how you doing?
7: I'm good. How about you guys today? Pretty good. Pretty good. What can we do for you? Um, well, I pulled a bunch of grid samples this year, and uh, we weren't able to get uh, dry micronutrients in our blend just due to supply issues and that. So we're trying to use the grid sample versus yield and looking at our levels. I'm trying to decide what's maybe the best way to apply some micronutrients with a plant or with liquid next year. I can either do it in-furrow or two-by-two. So I'm just kind of curious what you guys think would be the best way to apply that. And the ones I'm most focused on, where I see a yield benefit, is copper, the zinc, and the manganese.
1: Okay, we've done both. How much copper zinc and manganese are we talking about here is there let's just is there like a blend of liquid you could use that you'd put on a quart a gallon I mean do you have any kind of idea how much product we're talking about here
7: well I think that's the question right is because when (laughs) I'm looking at it from a soil test perspective I'm seeing anytime we get above like manganese you know above 15 we're you know hitting our high yield spots in the field yep and when I look at zinc, when we start getting above about 8, but we have places in the field that go up to 20. And Sure. The main reason that's a challenge, is, so the other thing I'll bring into the equation, is I know phosphorus is antagonistic, and we have a, most yep. of this field are over 100, hearts, or 100 parts per million.
1: Yes. Yep, you're and dead And so on. we're
7: trying to bring those levels up to the 10 to 1 and 30 mm-hmm. to 1, but yep. if you ban that, <laughs> you can't afford to do it. So I was just trying to figure out yep. what you guys think might be a good way to approach it for... <laughs> At least next spring. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of people changing some things up, even us on our farm, a little bit from what we might normally do. Because I just, I can't bring myself to spend three times as much on fertilizer as I did last fall, you know what I mean? Uh, so right. I, I would say with your zinc, your manganese, your copper, yes, we have done all of those in furrow. It's just If you're doing very much, then we'd prefer you to be two by two. So that's why I kind of come back to if let's say there was some blended product and you said, you know what, I think we can probably get by in a court. We're in good shape. We just need a little bit to get us off to a good start let's just go that way, we'll throw a cord out there, I'm fine with that. But if it becomes a, you know what, we better, by the time I do all these things, it's going to be closer to a gallon, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable if you're in that 2 by 2 because what it really amounts to is, we're talking salt and and antagonism to the seed and that very, very young seedling. We just don't want to burn any roots off or hurt germination or anything like that. And so it just all comes back to the dose. So yeah, quart, maybe quart and a half, something like that in total for micros for your copper, zinc, manganese, I'm probably okay with in that furrow. But Number one, I'd want to try to, as much as I can, keep it off the seed. And number two, if you have to bump the rate beyond that, just go two by two, and then you're a lot
7: safer. Okay. And then if you did a two by two, you wouldn't have any issues, I mean, with jar test, I guess, but mixing it with, uh, you know, 28 or 32?
1: Um, it depends on the form that we're talking about here. What I would do is I would talk to whoever your supplier is for the copper, zinc, manganese, and whatever combination you do there exactly and just say hey have you had any problems with this then i would still jar test it am i expecting any problems no oh, okay let me ask uh, you how much ma- when you talk 28 percent two by two how many gallons of that are you putting out there
7: uh so we're we're uh so we're going to probably do a max 10 gallon per acre okay
1: okay you, you but just got...
7: one of the things I'd want to do is mix this uh, micronutrients probably at a different level. So I'm guessing that's the route we're going to go because I want to see if we get a response. Yep. To use that to drive, drive fertilizer in the fall, hopefully it's come down and it's available.
1: <laughs> right. Yep. I hear you. So we continue even though we have a lot of our ground built up very well with copper and zinc and manganese now. We still will use a low rate of a blended micronutrient product in furrow at planting time but we're talking quart maybe quart and a half. And we do get a little bit of response out of that, but you know, I haven't spent a lot there either. So anyway, you no, know, I'm glad you're yeah, testing. That's a good point. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for the call. We got to run Brad, but I uh, really appreciate it. Good luck to you this season. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer plus rewards program, you earn cash back on seed herbicides and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter because now, You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com.
0: One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other agphd events we have coming up in January and February including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
2: You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, When weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
7: What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC herbicide. The latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC. Available for fall.
0: back you're listening to ag phd radio taking your calls and questions at 844 44 ag and also taking emails radio at agphd.com from all over the world this one comes from mitchell down in australia he said the weather's finally turned around for us here we got warmer temps and we got an inch and a half of rain in the forecast for tomorrow, so we're doing a little cultivation out in our corn to knock out a few of those escape weeds before the rapid growth really gets going. Hey, thanks for the picture, Mitchell. It's I love seeing fields at about that stage where you got uh, a cultivator running through corn. You got beautiful, cr- beautiful crops out there. Uh, here we are, harvest is done, and we got to wait months now before we get to put another crop in. But thanks for the picture, really appreciate it. And good luck to you. All right, got one from a uh, uh, dude who says the purpose of tillage. You guys uh, talk about tillage and what we're doing with it. Well, Leaving fertilizer on top of the ground can also lead to the destruction of all the benefits of some of the fertilizer as the sun is negative or works against the beneficial bacteria and microbes and so forth. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons we don't like leaving fertilizer on top of the ground. I can't really think of reasons to leave fertilizer on top of the ground. Uh, But, yeah, that is one of the challenges in in agriculture when you're putting those nutrient applications out there to get them down in the soil. And I think that's important, too. This one from Robert. He said you guys are talking about burning and there's been a lot of attention around that. He said, I just want you to know down in Arkansas, a lot of times guys do burn off some winter wheat stubble after harvest. And occasionally they'll, they'll plant their double crop soybeans directly into a burn field, too. So that is a practice that has been used from time to time. Okay, thanks, Robert. We appreciate that. This one from Adam, and Adam's in South Dakota. He said, personally, I wouldn't bail any corn stalks ever on my farm, but I do have a few questions for you, though. When you look at the nutrients that are in the stover, is there a good way to determine that? I don't believe the fertilizer removal app is really going to tell me what's left nope. in the stover and then, nope. are there certain nutrients that you're more worried about than others if you are baling corn stalks how would you determine the cost
1: Yeah so you'd just have to test those stalks every time and the reason why is because with rainfall and just natural deterioration of that that residue nutrients are going to fall out of there so if let's say late in the season late in the growing season your corn's starting to mature and you get a bunch of rain then which we well i shouldn't say a bunch but we at least had some Uh, we had almost nothing prior to that but anyway we did have some rain well some of your potassium is going to flush out of that and potassium is really the number one thing that we are i would say concerned about leaving the field so you just have to send samples in for analysis each year and just see what is truly leaving the field and then look at your replacement cost for those nutrients. There is replacement cost for nutrients and we can talk about that. But the other factor is when you have less residue on the surface of the soil, now you are more prone to erosion. So that's why like even Darren and I were just talking about this yesterday, this silage that we're having cut now in late August and early September, we're just not used to that. We haven't cut silage on our farm in a in a big way for 30 plus years. And so, especially with today's farming methods and just the fact that they can get that silage off early and it's not, well, normally around here people are planting 95 to 105 day corn. We're planting 110 day corn and it's still coming off the end of August or early September. But in those cases, okay, so, I mean, almost all the residue is leaving the field, just like in your baling the stalks example. The reason why I'm bringing this up is I'm just saying when you're doing it early, then you really probably want to get a cover crop out there because we still had a couple months where something could grow. If you're doing it right now, well, nothing's going to grow anymore. So you're only protecting that soil over the winter. You got to kind of hope for getting good snowfall so your soil doesn't blow. But I will just say we see a lot of, brown or black snow over the course of the winter and you know where that's coming from it's right out of fields blowing into this snow and so it's pretty apparent the amount of erosion that's occurring there so anyway I'm just trying to say it's not just the nutrients lost it's potentially soil loss too if you have
0: more erosion all right thanks for the the questions there got some soil tests here for you Brian this is from Jake down in south central Texas He said, uh, I've got a smaller cattle operation, and I've been trying to clean up the weeds in my Bermuda grass production. I used Grazon Next back in 2019. In 2020, I used Chaparral, and I also applied a 20-10-10 fertility blend, a couple hundred pounds of that. Now, I just did some soil tests. I wanted to get your opinion on what I could improve on, where I should put my dollars. I'm trying to get rid of a bunch of different weeds as well, including some grass, uh, and I noticed, Jake, that they mentioned graze on next in chaparral. Neither of those will kill the annual grasses like you have barnyard grass in your mix where you're going to need some pastora or plateau in there to, to try and knock those out.
1: Okay, so this is an interesting soil test, and let me just tell you why. Usually when we see cation exchange capacity in the range of 18 to 46, we say, oh, it's heavy soil. Chances are it's got a lot of clay which then typically means it has a lot of magnesium. In his case, he has 3.3 to 6.3% magnesium in his soil, and he's low. Why? Well, in the Midwestern United States and up into southern Canada, the predominant clay is montmorillonite, and montmorillonite clay, one of the base components of that is magnesium. So when we have clay, we have plenty of magnesium. In his case, Um, He just doesn't. So I I would just say you got to get some more magnesium out there. A lot of times we'd like to see that magnesium close to 12%. You also have in a couple of spots, low potassium where we're 2.2% on the base saturation K test. So, you know, that'd be a good spot for maybe some K mag or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's a little unusual that way. The other thing is is nitrate and sulfate levels, as we, and boron levels, as we would expect, are low. So anytime we're dealing with these leachables, every single year you got to put more on nitrate, sulfate, boron. They're incredibly important to grass production. Um, th- those are probably my main comments. You know, zinc in a couple areas is also low. So is manganese. So is iron. So you got a lot of fertility things that you could certainly do out there, including a little bit of phosphorus and zinc as well. So um, yeah, it's a a lot of things low, but the only thing that's high is calcium and in a couple spots, potassium and phosphorus.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions, Jake. Got this one from Brian, who said uh, you guys are talking about the purpose of tillage. Just want to let you know in the Mohawk Valley, lots of corn ground getting the moldboard plow here this fall. That dirt and even the clay becomes really soft by spring. Yeah, the heavy bottom ground. A lot of times we see we see some tillage, but of course if it's floodable and erodible, then you got to be awful careful about that too. Hey, do your CO two email that you got there, Darren. <laughs> that, one, that one I think is pretty interesting.
1: This one right here.
0: Oh. Right? Yep. Uh, so we got this one in from Hugh, and he said, huge amounts of carbon, we were talking about plants and carbon dioxide, said huge amounts of carbon are already stored in the ground. Coal, for example. Humans dig coal and burn it, and by doing that, we're restoring carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. And the Earth's atmosphere, based on several hundred million year average, is now very low in carbon dioxide. By burning fossil fuels, humans are saving the planet. I'm reading an email here, let me finish. The atmosphere needs more CO2, not less. During the dinosaur times, CO2 is up to 10 times what it is today. During those times, the Earth was covered in far more vegetation than today. And he said, read the book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom by Patrick Moore, who is the founder of Greenpeace. Okay, this all comes in from Hugh. And you know, that's that's taking a very different view from what we hear in the media today <laughs> saying, hey, the problem isn't too much carbon dioxide, it's too little. Yep. And it's kind of interesting Brian, just looking at that article and uh, or looking at an article that, that you had found as well and uh, and what he's talking about here in this Yeah, book. just talking it's
1: about like 34 to 56 million years ago there were no polar ice caps, temperature were about 10 degrees hotter than what we have today. And guess what? The planet still survived. And we also had carbon dioxide levels almost four times what they are today. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm no uh, environmental scientist or anything else. But I do know there's a lot of emphasis on all this climate change, global warming, and the number one target is CO2. So whether you believe in it, which I don't, or you do, the, the fact of the matter is there's only one industry that can produce fuel at a net zero or below zero in terms of the carbon index score. And that is biofuels and agriculture. So basically people have to come to us as farmers if they want CO2 reduction in the atmosphere. We can help. We just have to produce higher yields and then we have to build our soil organic matter. Whether you believe in the climate change thing or not doesn't matter. Those things are good for farmers and good for our soils.
0: And it makes for interesting discussion, too. So thanks for sending in that email, Hugh. We really appreciate that. Thanks for listening today. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.